am usually loud enough, but that one was not Cody's fault. That was me. I didn't turn my mic on. I could shout at you, but then I'd lose my voice. Guys, I, I like this time of year um, because some of you are walking into the room a few shades darker than normal, and some of you, like me, are coming in, your faces are bright pink. <laughs> the sun is out. How many have you been in the sun recently? I see you're still pale. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry, just kidding. Uh, I literally step outside for like, Leah, just do it. Pull the table. Pull the table, Leah. <laughs> I step outside for like five minutes and my face turns bright red. Anybody else? Anybody like ginger like I am? Yeah. Fair skin. It's okay. Are you guys awake? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, a little life. A little life. And you get your notes out. Get your Bible out. Put your phone away. Smack your neighbor if they have one. Yes, we will, uh, we'll have a phone police smacking phones out of your hands. I am known, my favorite thing to do, and this is not a kind thing, this is not a kind thing, but my favorite thing to do is to knock things out of people's hands when they're holding them. So if you're like holding a beverage, love it. If you're holding your phone, I love smacking them out of your hand, okay? I don't know why, it's just a little joy I get. Yeah, so be careful around me. Keep your phones away. Hmm. Have your neighbors keep you accountable. <laughs> yes, pull your, pull your Bibles out. We are in the book of James. Here we go. Um, is anybody in here, does anybody in here actually enjoy running? Like you get enjoyment from running. No, legit, raise your hands, raise your hands. You all are weirdos, okay? Weirdos! All right, put your hands down, you weird runners. Man, guys, confession. I, I know this will be super shocking to you. I am not a runner. I, I try, I try really hard. Usually about the two mile mark, I injure myself in some ways. Um, but I can actually make it to two miles now because I've been doing lunges, because that helps apparently. Thank you. Um, although I haven't ran in a while, so a couple weeks, a month maybe. Uh, running is hard, okay? I don't know about, I just like, I don't understand why people think it's fun. I have a lot of friends who are runners. They enjoy running. Tolly, you're a weirdo, but she runs a lot. It's great. I don't mean to shame you for your hobbies. It's a great hobby. Um, uh, <laughs> like people tell me, like, they try to help me with tips and things. So one of the things I've been told is like, I don't know, like usually the first mile and a half is the hardest, that's what they say. Like if you can get through the first mile and a half, you can just, I know, <laughs> right? Right, if you can make it through the first mile and a half, you're like warmed up, you're ready to go. I'm like, I, all of it is hard. All of it is hateful. At the mile and a half, two miles, I'm still like trying to coach myself and like, the, the thing I don't understand about running is how do you entertain yourself while you're running? Like, I'm listening to music. I haven't quite gotten into, um, like, podcasts while I'm running because I'm so stressed out I can't focus on what the podcast is saying. Um, I pray a lot when I'm running. Usually, like, Lord, help me. But sometimes it's like I think of everybody I can think of, and I just start praying for them as I'm running. Um, I, like, talk to God about the random things I see. I'm like, look, Lord, there's a bird. I wish I could fly instead of run, you know? Like, I'm, I'm trying to entertain myself. And, like, I'm talking to people who are, like, half or, like, marathon runners, you know? And I'm like, by mile 10, 
I feel like I would have prayed all the prayers that are possible. Like, how do you entertain yourself for that many miles? Or, like, marathons are, like, an hour, you know? Like, it takes people, like, an hour plus to, like, do these things. I'm like, how do you entertain yourself for an hour? Like, what do you do? What do you think about? Like, how do you endure for that long? I mean, I mean, running or life or anything... I really think the hardest thing you could ever do in and with your life or hobbies or activities is endure. Like pushing through a struggle, pushing through a struggle when you're like going uphill or you've hit mile whatever or whatever it is you're going through, like enduring is literally the hardest thing I think in life that we could ever do. And much like um, the runners, you know, I'm like how can you do this? Like, how do you endure? And I think most runners would probably say you keep the goal in mind, right? You're either trying to get to the finish line or you're trying to get to a certain mileage or you're trying to get to a certain time. It's like they're keeping the end goal in mind and that's what's motivating them as they go. Um, and, and just like in life, man, there are some seasons that we go through that are just hard, you know, like day after day or like month after month or even year after year, you think like, can I really make it one more day. Can I really make it through this time? Like, how am I going to endure another day of this? And I think the answer is probably similar. And it's keeping that finish line in mind, the goal in mind. How do I endure through this hard time? Can I make it one more day? These are the questions that in our book tonight, James, the people he's writing to are asking these questions. They're suffering, they're struggling, and they're asking these same questions. Man, and in the difficult day-to-day, it's so easy to despair. You know, it's so easy to, like, give in to doubt and loss of hope and forget the finish line, to forget the goal. But tonight is going to be a word of encouragement and a word to call us to endure, to make it through one more day. But we're going to see how that's possible. How can we endure in seasons that it feels like you're running a marathon that actually doesn't have a finish line? How do we endure? And James is going to—he's um, going to address that for us. Let's read our passage really quick, and then we'll dive into it. So, James chapter five is the last chapter of James, starting in verse seven. He says, "Be patient, therefore, brothers." Until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or under any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. An interesting chunk of passage to remind us to endure. Um, But remember last week, as Max brought us the word, he was sharing there right at the very end that there are these people who are using their wealth 
to like crush the people who are working for them. They were using their power to like trample the poor and to trample those who are injured. And the word that the Lord gave to those who were using their power to oppress others was judgment's coming. Like watch out, judgment's coming. And today, James is now encouraging those who are being oppressed, those who are being squashed under those (laughs) corrupt powers. And it's really like being treated unjustly. And he says the same thing. He says, wait, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming, and it's a hope. And so the message of encouragement, the message of of endurance we get from James this week is this. He says, as a whole, we endure in the face of struggle because we will soon face Christ. We endure in the face of struggle today because we know that a day is coming when we will soon face Christ. And we're going to talk about what that means, why that's hopeful, why that's an encouragement. And how do we, how do we endure in the face of struggle? Because there are some days, man, where like, we've all had them, where you're just like, I have no idea how I'm going to make it through today. So how do we endure? Um, and James is going to lay those, two, those things out for us. So let's go back to the top of our passage here. He says, be patient. Thanks, James. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives its early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What do you think James wants us to do? Be patient. Fun Bible reading tool, repeated words. If they say it a lot, they mean it a lot, okay? So he said patience multiple times. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I am not a patient person. Anybody here master patience? Yeah, I will laugh at myself too. Right? Like, patience is hard, but he's saying, in, as we endure through suffering, we endure with patience. We endure with patience. Um, one translation or one uh, definition I saw of patience is very painful, but it says it's the ability to wait without becoming hasty. I am a hasty person. This is why I can't keep anything from breaking because I am hasty and I'm impatient and I destroy everything in my path. It's hard, but he's calling the believers to be patient, but specifically, he's calling them to be patient and their dependence on God for their help and salvation. Right? So these people are being crushed by the powers around them from the corrupt people around them. They're being treated unjustly. They are like, they have no idea even how they're going to like make it to the next day, literally with their food and all these things. And he says, be patient. It's a patience that depends on God to come through for help, to come through with salvation. And then he gives us this image of a farmer waiting in hopeful dependence. I mean, imagine, imagine this. Grocery stores do not exist. I know. Imagine they don't exist, and you can only survive off of the food you grow in your backyard. I'll tell you what, if you're trying to make guacamole tomorrow, you're not planting an avocado tree today. Right? Because you're not going to get avocados tomorrow. Like, they take years to grow. Like, this farmer is planting a seed, right? He's planting a seed and he's waiting. He's waiting for the fruit to come forth. He's waiting for it to grow. And what is he depending on? He's depending on 
the rains that are going to come. Now, in Washington, this kind of like blows over our head because we're like, it rains all the time. But imagine like you're in eastern Washington or somewhere where it's a little drier. Like rain is important for crops. And so this farmer is planting a seed in hope. And he's like, God, you've got to come through for me. Like you've got to make it rain. You've got to make the fruits come. Like my survival is based off of if you come through for me. Like he is living in dependent hope on the Lord. Now, grocery stores do exist in America and other places, but we're very blessed here. Uh, And most of you are not farmers, but it's hard for us to realize that our lives are actually just as out of control as the farmer is out of control if it rains. Do you realize that? Like, you may be able to go to the store right now and buy an avocado, and maybe you can make guacamole tonight, but, because they're never ripe. Anyway, uh, like, but we are still not as in control of our lives as we think we are. Day to day, year to year, we have to trust that the Lord is going to provide what we need. And this kind of daily dependence and patience is so hard, especially when we want answers now, when we want a solution now, when we've been stuck through the same junk day after day after day and we're tired of it. I'm tired of being patient and waiting. But he calls us to be patient And he calls us, this really cool line, to establish your hearts. What does that mean? Establish is the word to strengthen, to make more firm, to make strong. He says, encourage your hearts, strengthen your hearts. Man, it's so easy to give way to doubt, to give away to this belief that God doesn't care, that he's not going to provide for you, that he's not going to ever bring you out of where you are that there's no hope for tomorrow. It's so easy to fall into despair that nothing's ever going to change and this that I'm feeling right now will always be how I'm feeling. Man, but let not our hearts grow sick with despair. Let us establish our hearts. But how do we do that? How do we be patient? How do we endure? How do we establish our hearts? And it lands in these words, the coming of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. A fun story. Not a fun story. It's a story. Uh, I am the youngest sibling. Youngest siblings in here? (laughs) Babies for life. Um, I'm the youngest sibling, and I have two older brothers. And they have a million bro friends. Um, And uh, during, and when I was in middle school, both of my parents worked. And so the summertime was like touch and go. I don't know if you've ever been home. Like some days... It's very copacetic. Everyone's getting along. We're all fine. Nobody's fighting. And then some days, like, all hell breaks loose. Like, you know this. It's just like, it is World War III in your house with you and your siblings, and there is no parent intervention. And sometimes it's me, because I've always had a really terrible anger problem, and sometimes I'm throwing items at my brothers that miss and get stuck in the wall. Um... Sometimes it's them chasing after me, and I am running for my life, okay? And, like, true, maybe I started it, but it doesn't matter, okay? I'm running for my life. And I can't tell you how many, like, bruises I've had. I've had welts the shape of hands, like, on me. Like, I have had so many injuries because of being attacked by my siblings and their friends. Um, And I tell you, there is no sound. There is no sound as sweet as our very squeaky garage door. Yes, because that little like jiggle that 
boosh, I'm like, mom is home. I am saved, right? Like my, my mom, like it is relief for me. I could be like, mom, Justin and Derek. And then she's like, boys, you know? Like I, it is a relief when that garage door sounds, right? That is what this, that's what this is. This is the sound of the garage door. All right, it says the Lord is at hand. It's like literally the Lord has his hand on the doorknob. He's about to come through the door. He's about to come. And so he's saying you can encourage your hearts. You can be patient because the Lord is coming. It's so close. Your suffering will not last forever. You can endure to the end. This will not be like this forever. The Lord is at hand. He's about to come through the door. And so no matter what kind of suffering we're under, I promise you that we're probably not suffering as bad as these people were suffering right now. And he says, be patient because the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's coming. We can endure. We can endure. So we endure in the face of struggle because we know that we're one day face Christ. So we endure with patience, um, but we also endure in other ways. Let's keep reading. One verse, simple, but he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So endure with patience, knowing that the Lord is coming. But also because the Lord is coming, we endure with grace. We endure with grace for one another. I don't know if you've ever interacted with somebody who's, like, so irritating that you cannot, like, control the, like, like, sound and feeling that you make, you know? When that person walks in and you're like, oh, my gosh, do I really have to see them today? You know, you're like, ugh, they're talking to me again, right? This is the kind of grumbling that this passage is talking about. Grumbling, it's to complain strongly. And sometimes this grumbling is actually a response of circumstances that aren't good. Like, I don't, I don't know, like, maybe you have a test tomorrow or this week. Or maybe you have, like, something difficult coming up and you're like, oh, I don't want to do this and I don't want to go to class. And can you believe what this person asked of me? And there's just, like, this grumbling, even from the circumstances. Um, but he's saying, do not grumble against one another, brothers. Have you noticed that when, like, it's a season of struggle, like, it's a season of, like, difficult things, we actually tend to turn on one another? Like, have you ever noticed, maybe in the last year, like, when tensions in life rise, that tensions in your relationships rise, too? That for some reason, when we're stressed, when we're in a struggle, we actually begin to take it out on one another. We begin to grumble against one another. We begin to fight with one another. And we, we lash out, we call each other's names, and we don't apologize, because if you only knew what I was going through, right? But he says, don't grumble against one another. He calls us to have grace with one another, to not make the struggle harder, to not make the season of enduring harder by making it a war between one another. And really... He says, don't, don't grumble so that you may not be judged. Like, how, who, who of us is without sin? Like, can you honestly say that you have never given anybody else a reason to complain about you? You know, like, you are so delightful that nobody would ever be like, Ugh. right? We all... <laughs> 
have a reason for people to complain about us in one way or another, because we're all quirky in weird ways. Right? And so James is saying, if you're going to hold the ruler of like perfect behavior up to somebody else, you better be prepared for the perfect God and judge of the universe to hold the ruler to you. And remember, the judge is standing at the door. So in the first chunk of the verses, the judge being at the door, the Lord being at hand is an encouragement. Because if you're under duress, it's a, it's a relief. It's like, oh, thank God, he's here. He's going to help me. If you're the one who is in the wrong, ooh, the judge at the door is a warning. Right? When my mom opens that squeaky garage door, I'm like, oh, thank you, God. My mom is here to save me, right? And my brothers, I'm like, ooh, they're going to get it. Right? Like, oh, man, I can't wait for them to get it. Like, and vice versa, like, when I've been the one that's, like, maybe chasing down my brothers and throwing things at them, whatever, or, like, didn't do my chores or something, the sound of the garage door of my mom coming home is like, oh, shoot. Like, I did not do what she asked me to do. Or, oh, there is a stick in the wall right now because I threw that. You know, like, when the judge at the door is a warning to live today in the fear of the Lord, knowing that he could return at any moment. And this is why we have grace for one another. We have respect for one another. We care for one another. So in the face of suffering, we endure. We endure with patience. We endure with grace. But, he, but then James gives us an example of what this looks like. <clears throat> Verses 10 through 11. He says, for example... As a suffering, example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, haven't you? Haven't you all read Job? Come on. <laughs> you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Um, we endure with patience, we endure with grace, and we endure with faithfulness. We endure with faithfulness. Um, there's this repeated word in this section um, of steadfast, of steadfast. Steadfast, it's faithfulness. It's very, very similar. It's, it's all together to endure, to be faithful, to be steadfast. It's kind of all together, but there was a definition of steadfast that I saw that I thought was really cool, um, and it was steadfastness is to stay while others go away. I was like, that is really cool. To remain steadfast means to stay when all others go away. He's saying remain steadfast, remain faithful. And then he gives us examples. You know, the prophets, right? You know them. You know Job, right? We should be readers of our Hebrew Bible, but I'll explain them to you. The prophets, right? So the prophets are on the day of Israel, Israel is a scummy group of people at this point. Okay, they're supposed to be God's people, but they are doing some things that are, like, super bad. And God's like, you all stink, and I'm going to kick you out of my land if you don't get yourself together. So the prophets show up, and they speak the word of God. They speak in the name of the Lord, and they tell them to, to turn from their sin and to turn to God. He tells them, like, if you don't repent, like, judgment is going to come. Please repent. Time and time again, he's urging them. And... They didn't take it well, right? Because if somebody walked up to your face and said, hey, you're wrong, and you should stop it. 
you'd be like, excuse me? <laughs> right? They did not respond well. Nobody liked the prophets because they told them to stop having fun and to follow God, right? And so what did they do to the prophets? They mistreated them. They starved them. Some of them were thrown into very deep pits known as cisterns and left there for days. They were put into prison. They were beaten. And many, if not all of them, were killed. However, they never stopped speaking the word of God. They remain steadfast, and they were counted as blessed. That what they did for the Lord was blessed. Now we talk about Job. Now Job, like, what a guy. I mean, like, okay, so he was awesome and had a bunch of stuff and loved God, and one day he lost it all. He lost his, all his family died. His, like, all his kids died in one massive accident, right? He lost all of his animals. He lost all of his crops. He lost his house. It would be like you going home, and your house is missing, and you have no family, and nothing's there, right? It's like he lost it all, and on top of that, he had some really gross health issues, like open wounds on his body, festering, gross, itchy, blah. Like, and the reason, we're told in Job, the reason why he experienced all that is because he was righteous, you're like, what? Like, why? Why would this happen? Yet he endured. He was miserable, and he was suffering, but he continued to call upon the name of the Lord. He continued to petition the Lord. He's, he kept saying, if I could only talk to God, if I could just hear from him, I just want to hear what he has to say. And he called upon him again and again and again, and he lived to see God's blessing. He endured in faithfulness, and the Lord Blessed, he remained steadfast when all else fled. When his wife made fun of him, when his friends left him, he stayed when others went away, and he lived to see the blessing. We've come full circle from chapter one. Remember chapter one, many weeks ago, when we opened this book in the first place? (laughs) In chapter one, he talks about, he tells us, James tells us, to count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. And we read through this the first time. We see that we have joy in trials because your steadfastness, your faith, produces perseverance. Right? It's, it's something that's doing to our faith. It's growing us in our faith. But here we see that James tells us to endure through trial, endure through suffering, because the Lord has a purpose and the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I talked about how runners can endure because they're thinking of the finish line. They're thinking of the goal. These prophets, the Job, he, they kept their eyes on the fact that God is merciful and gracious. Job looked at his circumstances and was like, this doesn't make sense because I don't feel like God is like this, right? He's merciful and gracious. They kept their eyes on that. They held to that truth even when they didn't see it in their circumstance. And the Lord proved himself true time and time and time again, and he will do it again for us. He is compassionate and merciful, and that truth must come deep in here. It must be true. It must be established safe from doubt and safe from fear because it's what's going to allow us to endure as we keep our eyes on Christ, as we keep our eyes on God. Citizens, I'll be honest with you. Uh, There is a day coming where you will no longer be a part of Citizens Youth. I know. 
this is not forever. Seniors are starting to weep. It's okay. Um, this, is, this is not forever. And Lord willing, and I pray, this is why Noah and I do our jobs here, is that you would be a part of a Bible-preaching church, a Christian-connected community that is encouraging you in the faith, and that you can be the church at. But you're going to find yourself in places of life where you are not surrounded by believers. You're not surrounded by people who are going to encourage you every week in the faith and encourage you of, to endure and to remind you of the gospel and who Jesus is. There's going to be a day coming where you might find yourself surrounded by classmates and coworkers who not only are against God, <laughs> but will mock you for what you believe. There will be days, someday, where people that you know right now that you think love Jesus, you will watch them walk away from the faith. But how do you endure? What will cause you to stay when others go away? How will you endure through faithfulness? Same way the prophets did. Same way Job did. They remembered and kept close to their hearts that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. That he is compassionate and merciful. We keep our eyes on Christ. We remember what he did for us, that he exchanged his life for ours. That he gave us life, that everything that we have is a blessing from the Lord. The fact that I'm alive and breathing is a mercy. And the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So with our eyes on Christ and his compassion, his mercy, we endure. Because we remember we're going to see him soon. We're going to face him soon. And so today we can face struggle. We can face enduring with patience and with grace and with faithfulness because we know we're going to see him soon. And there's one other way that we, we, we endure. Let's read our last verse here. He says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The last, way we, the last thing we endure in is we endure with integrity. We endure with integrity. Integrity is like something that is like solid, completely itself, all the way through, right? It's all together. So it's like, it's true, it's, it's right, all the way through. And he's calling us to be people of integrity, that what we say is true is true. He ha has a funky way of like, I'm looking at this and he's telling us that he's coming to the end of his letter. He says, but above all, he's coming to a conclusion Spoiler alert, we're, next week is our last week in James. So he's telling us he's coming to the conclusion of the letter. But I'm reading this, and I'm like, James, you're a weirdo. Why are you ending this way? Like, I get patience, okay? I don't get patience, but I understand why you would want us to be patient. Like, I understand why you want us to have grace. I understand, like, you calling us to faithfulness. But this one's weird. What, what is this thing about swearing and oaths? And that's really bizarre. Um, so let's dive into it. Much of a, what, a lot of what James says comes from his brother, Jesus. 
right? So Jesus actually basically said this exact same thing. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, Don't take an oath by heaven or by earth. Let what you say simply be yes or no. This is what Jesus says. He tells him not to swear. We're like, what? Swearing, by the way, in this context, is not curse words. Okay, this is not the thing that you say when you accidentally kick the edge of your bed in the middle of the night. Like, this is not what we're talking about. Uh, let's think about this. When do people most feel the need to swear? Like, I swear I'm going to do this. Okay, imagine. You want to do something. I don't know. Maybe you want to, I was going to say go to the movies, but is that a thing? Do people go to the movies anymore? Yes. Matt goes to the movies. Matt's the only one in the room that goes to the movies right now. Ugh, I miss the movies. Um, and maybe you want to, like, go do something. You want to go eat some food with your friends. Or you want to buy something, this thing you want. I don't know. And you have spent all of your money. You've spent all your allowance. You have no Christmas money left over because it's May? It's May. I was like, it's June. Not yet. You've spent all your money. You have no money left. Um, but you have a sibling who is frugal and saves all of their money. And so you go to sibling. You say, sibling, will you please lend me this money? Please, please lend me this money. Like, would you please lend me this money? I promise, I promise, I will do this, I promise. I will pay you back, and I will do all of your chores until I pay you back. Now, if you're like me, and you're a younger sibling, and you've been duped one too many times, you just look like this. You're like, mm, squinty eyes. I don't think you're going to do that. I'm not giving you no money right? What do you have to do to convince your sibling to give you money, right? You're like, no, I swear I'm not joking. Like, I swear I'm not lying. Like, I swear on grandmother's grave. Okay, and you're like, whoa, this is grandma, right? Like, I swear upon every pair of vans I own that I will, I will do this. I swear I will do this. This is what it's talking about, <laughs> In this context, to swear means you're, you're calling upon something else to prove that what you're saying is true. You're calling upon something else to back you up to say, like, you're going to come through on this promise. It's people calling on things that are bigger than them to try to, like, back them up. So he says, don't call upon heaven, right? It's people that say, like, I swear to God, I'm going to do this. He's like, da-da-da-da-da, don't do this. Just stab it. You, you, your word, your word should be good enough. That what you say you will do something, you do. And when you say you won't do something, you don't do it. He's just saying let your yes be yes and your no be no. That people can trust that what you say is true. You don't need to try to prove it. You don't need to try to like back yourself up. You just need to be a person of integrity where people can take your word. It's funky. Now, this is in this chunk, but ultimately here, right, we were just talking about how we're to endure in faithfulness, right, to be faithful to the Lord till the end. And right in here, James is asking us, like, will you be found faithful in the end? Will you be found faithful in the end? Like, swearing or making promises to God, they're like, I promise, like, I'll get it together, like, I promise, God, like, I'll serve you one day. Like, I promise I'll give this up and follow you. Like, I, I will. Like, that won't be good enough. When we come face to face with Christ, what will stand is you 
and your word. And those who have been found faithful are those with integrity, and those without integrity will be found unfaithful. So James is calling us to endure, to endure through these things, to endure in patience, to endure in grace, to endure in faithfulness, and to endure in our integrity. And ultimately, we can endure in the face of struggle and hardship and pain and all of these things because we know we will soon face Christ. Have you ever wondered, like, what it will be like to see Jesus one day? It's kind of like going on a blind date. You're like, are they going to like me? I mean, I've been talking to him for years, but I don't know. I've never been on a blind date. I, I don't think. I bet maybe that's true. I don't know. It's like, who, what, like, what is this going to be like to see Jesus? Like, I like to think it's going to be like seeing an old friend, you know, like someone you've been talking to forever. But the Bible, Bible lays this out for us. He tells us what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. From Revelation 19 to the end, it's probably some of the coolest chunks of Scripture and the place where we get our hope. But specifically, in Revelation 19, verse 11, you can flip to it if you want, you can read with me. Um, John is the one writing Revelation, um, and he describes seeing Jesus this way. He says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire. What? And on his head are many diadems. These are like gems, crowns, jewels. Woo, he's great. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the coming of the Lord that we are called to be patient for. He comes with power, and he comes with might, and he reigns over all things. He comes with justice, right? We were saying, like, mom being at the door, if you're in the wrong, is like, oh, right? When the Lord comes, man, all of the things that grieve us, Like, all of the things that we're like, God, how can you let this happen? Like, all of the evil and the corruption and the curse and the sin of this life, he will bring to an end. All injustice will find his end because nobody can beat the king of kings and lord of lords. He is going to come with justice. And that is one hope for us. But the next hope for us is that he comes with so much grace. For those who are opposed to God, they better fear the day they come face to face with God. But for those who are found in Christ and covered in the blood of the Lamb, they find grace and hope because the the Lamb, Jesus, his robes are dipped in blood and it's his blood. His blood that he shed for you and I so that we do not have to experience death forever. He gave his life for us. He took our death. He gave us life. He gave us grace. Man. He died so that we would not die along with the evil in our hearts. That he would take care of evil. And that he would save our lives. This is the hope we look to. This is why we can endure. 
When you think like, can I make it just one more day? Yes, you can, because we look forward to that day. There is no dead end in the story of Christ. There is no hopelessness with Christ. Man, we look forward to the great sigh of relief of eternity. Where the struggle and the tension and the pain and the grief and the fear and the hate and the curse of this life will be crushed. You know, that weight on our hearts that we feel day to day when that is lifted and we live in true life with Christ, when every tear will truly be gone. So let us, as believers, let us keep our eyes on that day when the pain of today seems like it will crush us. Let us keep our eyes on that day when it seems like all good is gone and that bad has won the day. Let us keep our eyes on that day when we are mocked and pressured and yes, maybe one day even persecuted for our faith. Let us keep our eyes on that day when we feel tensions rise and we're injuring one another. Let us keep our eyes on Christ when our own hearts betray us. And let us hear the words of our Savior and the last words he says in the word of God. The very end of the book, in Revelation 22, 7, he says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, behold, I am coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Jesus is coming soon. He said it. He's pretty good at keeping his promises. That's what this whole thing is about. It's about a God who keeps his promises. And, he, and Jesus tells us he is coming soon. We endure in the face of struggle because we will soon face Christ. And I don't know which side of the coin that you're on if you were to face Christ today. If mom opened the door right now, are you like, ah, oh, are you like, no? Oh. Jesus is coming soon. And I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that you find yourself facing Christ with joy as we choose to follow him. By faith, we choose to follow him. So I don't know what you are enduring through right now or if this is a season of endurance for you, but I encourage you, hang on. <laughs> Hope is alive. And we will see Jesus. We will see Jesus. I encourage you tonight as you go into small groups um, in a little bit after we sing um, to share like what you're enduring through. Like we're, we're a community who's doing this together. I encourage you to share and encourage one another. Let me pray uh, that this word would sink deep in our hearts and pray for the rest of our night and then we'll continue. Lord God, I thank you Oh, God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it encourages us with truth um, that is real and is tangible and we can hold in our hands, God, that you are coming. God, that we have not been left alone to fend for ourselves, that we have not been left alone to try to, <laughs> to, try to make it one more day. 
God, but that you are with us. God, I thank you that you give us uh, life, that you give us hope, that there truly are no dead ends. And God, would you help us to keep our eyes on you? Would you help us to keep our eyes on that day, on that eternity, on the goodness of that day, of the, of the justice of that day, that the things that grieve us, Lord, that you will take care of. God, would you help us to keep our eyes on Christ, on his compassion, on his mercy. May it strengthen our hearts, God, as we strive to be patient, God, and gracious and faithful and with integrity. God, would you, would you help us, God? We cannot do without your spirit. God, we need you, Lord. God, would you, would you strengthen our hearts tonight and help us to endure? May you help us to encourage one another to endure. God, we love you. We thank you for the hope that is in Jesus that we know in your word, Lord. So tonight we we lay our worries before you. 